This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, lots to go over today. Welcome aboard once again. Thanks so much for joining me either across the Sportsnet Radio Network or watching on Sportsnet 360 or wherever you consume your podcasts, gentle listener. Do you guys know that Morgan Riley was suspended five games yesterday? Yeah, it's true. NHL Department of Player Safety, if you're uh, if you're just hearing this now for the first time, you probably just stumbled across this show and you should probably go somewhere else. Morgan Riley suspended five games uh, for the cross-check to the head of Ridley Gregg. Oh, the takes were sane, as they have been going back to Saturday. One of the things we'll talk about today. Uh, we should probably park some time to talk about a really eventful night around the NHL last night. Whether it is uh, teams reminding themselves that they could probably use a goaltender quick. Los Angeles, I'm looking your direction. At times, yesterday, New Jersey, I'm looking your direction as well. Uh, to a big night from Connor McDavid, a big night from the third line for the Vancouver Canucks, and Brad Marchand skates in game number 1,000 in the NHL. Uh, coming up on today's program, bottom of the hour, we'll talk about the New Jersey Devils and their situations uh, goaltending and elsewhere with Ken Danico. Greg Wyshynski stops by an hour or two. It is Wednesday after all, so MVSW Redux is upon us once again. And Lance Lasowski will stop by and we'll talk about the Buffalo Sabres. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Uka Pekka Lukanen, I'm kind of feeling like the Rodney Dangerfield of the Buffalo Sabres. No respect. What does Lukanen need to do to get respect from this organization? We'll play the Don Granato clip a little bit later on, but after a, uh, his fourth shutout this season, tying a record, tying the, like the, the most shutouts in the last 15 years for the Buffalo Sabres, the coach pumps up Devin Levi. <laughs> what do you have to do? Uka Pekka Lukanen, you've been outstanding for the Buffalo Sabres. Take a bow in a uh, field of mediocrity right now. Lukanen is standing out. Big win last night for the Buffalo Sabres. We should mention 7-0 over the Los Angeles Kings. They have goaltending issues. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. And they have blue line issues. And they have goal scoring issues. And they have checks notes on St. Kopitar at dash six issues as well. As we bring in Shana Goldman from the Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Hello, Shana. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, of all those things, and pleasure is mine, um, of all those things that I just mentioned, which one is the juiciest to you? I want to get to Riley here. Maybe Riley, but of all those things that I just mentioned <laughs> off the top, which one has uh, has some staying power for you? Let's talk the Kings, right? Like their problems are big enough to make a coaching change going into the all-star break. And it's an interesting time to do it, right? Because how much of an impact can a new coach have? How much can a coach change the systems? And this is someone from the bench. This isn't someone, you know, completely new that's coming in and trying to implement a completely different system, which is pretty impossible to do in the regular season. But here's Mm -hmm. the time, right? And you look at it and you have to kind of break down like who is at fault here? And you could have the conversation three ways at this point. You know, one of the things that, and, and you're and you're right, and it's always different. It's always, I would say not different, but difficult when an assistant coach becomes a head coach because the players in a lot of ways just kind of see, a, oh, it's the same guy, but now he's wearing a different hat and the new personality that goes along with it. Um, sometimes players, just to be blunt, kind of look at the new coach who was their assistant coach last week who was loving the guys and is now scratching a bag skating the guys is kind of a fraud. Um, I look at last Saturday now in hindsight when they beat the Edmonton Oilers and we said, wow, that that break did something for them and the new coach and new coach bump and all of that. 
you know, I wonder if they if, if they just caught a really tired Edmonton Oilers team uh, and beat them for nothing on Hockey Night in Canada, and then now we're back to the the real Los Angeles Kings. Let me do something really irresponsible here, uh, and that is throw around <laughs> names. Um, if you <laughs> again not reporting this one, just speculating this one. Like we talked yesterday so much about you know the Nashville Predators and UC Soros, and could there be a fit with the Carolina Hurricanes? Los Angeles has been in and around UC Soros going back to last year's trade deadline. If you were the Los Angeles Kings, Shana Goldman, would you trade Adrian Kempe for UC Soros? Now, his no trade, limited as it may be, doesn't kick in until the summer. The money pretty much washes. It's pretty much even. We know that Nashville wants goal scoring. They want goals, goals, goals. Thank you very much. And they have Yaroslav Askarov, who's ready to join the mix in the NHL. And they have this UC Saros fella here who's still amongst the best in the NHL. If you're L.A., do you do campaign for Saros? No, I don't. Um, I think that any team would be lucky to have UC Saros. You know, like I, I, I know his January was bad after a fantastic December. But to me, Saros is one of the top goaltenders in the league that any team would be lucky to have. But if you're the Kings, you do have to think about where do you dedicate your assets to? And the way that they're built, they're a team that shouldn't need elite goaltending, right? They should be able to get by with average goaltending Mm -hmm. or slightly above average goaltending. I think that they need to focus on their scoring and their defense before they look back in net. Do I think that they're going to need an upgrade down the stretch? Yes. Um, I think we all kind of expected that the entire year, despite Cam Talbot's great start, because what is it going to look like in the second half of the year for an aging goaltender? We really don't know, especially someone who hasn't had that year-to-year consistency that he has at the peak of his career. But if I'm the Kings, I look at everything in front of the blue paint first. And you look back through you know December 27th, 28th, when their troubles really started, and you look at how their defense has completely fallen off a cliff from going from one of the best teams that's defending the rush to one of the worst to the team that's allowing one of you know the highest rates of high danger chances in transition to one of the worst that i think has to fix first before you start thinking goaltending because you have that blue line built to be you know your greatest strength now you need to find a way to get them back there before you spend huge to fix a position that maybe you can get by without investing as much in so here becomes the question then, do they have enough assets to fix all the problems they have? Like, are there two magical trades that are out there that they can that they can do, that they can pull off to cure what ails them? I mean, they've already made the big deal in the offseason. Rob Blake already, you know, uh, spent one of his major bullets with the Pierre-Luc Dubois deal. And now they're faced with, you know, tumbling down the standings and maybe falling out of a playoff spot. I mean, this is crashing hard. Yeah. For me, their biggest asset that they're missing is cap space. We saw that the second they traded for Dubois and signed him to that big contract, they're missing the cap space Mm -hmm. to invest in goaltending, which is why they had to go as cheap as they did. So even if you can make a move, now you are paying for salary retention or a third team to join the fold or to dump a player off so you can have the space. And it goes back to whether they needed Dubois in the first place. And you can have that discussion all day, right? Like, did they invest properly? Mm -hmm. Right, wrong, or sideways, this is where they are. So you have to navigate your way out of that. And I think that they have to to find a way to create cap space. So that might take a couple moves or a couple, you know, a couple trades or putting players on waivers or burying cap hits, whatever you have to do. And then you can try for, I don't even know if it's a magical trade or if it's the, the, bigger than a Band-Aid fix, right? Like, it can't just be a Band-Aid. Maybe they just look for a goaltender for the year, like they did last year with Corpus Allo, finish out the year strong and reassess in the offseason, and that's fine, right? If 
if it's enough. Um, but I, I think that that has to be the biggest focus. How do you find cap space and how do you invest the little bit that you have properly uh, at this point? Three weeks away, trade deadline. All of this by March the 8th. Last time I checked, it is, oh, look at that. It's Valentine's Day. It is uh, February the 14th. By the way, just as a, as a goofy aside, I know that the, um, the last name Valentine might not be the most popular name around. Like it's not, you know, Johnson or Smith or, or whatever. But I, I am still stunned that there's only been one Valentine in the history of the NHL, Chris Valentine, who played with the Washington Capitals so many years ago, scored a first goal in his first game, first shot against Pete Peters somewhere down there. But there has only been, Shana, one Valentine in the history of the NHL. Do you have a thought on that goofy bit of trivia? Yes, the fact that you would be the one to know it. Of course you have that information in your back pocket, <laughs> ready to go with no, the no, back no, no, of no, the no, no, no. everything. No, no, no. I'm sure you've thought about it. Why is oh, it Oh, yeah, every day. This is what I'm researching. I think of random yeah. holidays and I go, does anyone ever have the last name Christmas? Does anyone have the last name? Is there <laughs> a Steve? Was, was there a Steve Christmas who played in the uh, in the 1950s? Or was there an official name Christmas? Anybody? Was there an Easter? How many Easters have there been? Um, let's get to uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs story with Morgan Riley. And by the way, Bobby McMahon, congrats to you yesterday for the hat trick. Maple Leafs over the St. Louis Blues. Uh, no Mitch Marner, no John Tavares for the Toronto Maple Leafs. They were ill. And no Morgan Riley, five-game suspension for the hit on Ridley Gregg. I am so impressed that all the takes that we saw on social media were very rational and none of them were overly <laughs> emotional. Uh, none of them. <laughs> okay, I can't even, I can't even go on that, that, that line of discussion. Uh, just your thoughts on this one. Um, the five for Morgan Riley. To me, the big deciding factor, if you watch the video that the, DOP, the, uh, the DOPS put out, Department of Player Safety, the big thing for me was he had a lot of time to make a different decision. This isn't heat of the battle, guys cross-checking each other in front of the net. No, this was after the whistle, skating you know, half the width of the ice to cross-check a player. To me, the biggest determining factor here was certainly A, the cross-check, but B, distance traveled and time to make a different decision. What was it for you? Yeah, it's the intent, right? You know what he's intending to do. He's frustrated, let it boil over. And yes, that can happen. Happens all the time in the NHL. But if you're a big time NHL star, you have to know how to have a lid on that at a certain time. And you have all the time in the world to make a different decision. You don't have to do that. And even if you decide to skate all the way over to him to make a statement, right? Because this is the Maple Leafs. There's going to be discourse regardless. But if he didn't do that, then it's the Maple Leafs are too soft and they can't defend themselves. And this is why they need Ryan Reeves. Yep. And then if they do do it, you know, then it's a loss too because he should have known better or good job on Riley. He didn't know he had that backbone. Like it could have happened to a better team just because the content that come from anything that happens with the Leafs is too good. But he had all the time in the world to skate over there. Just shoulder check him into the boards. Like, you can still make a statement and be like, hey, you can't take slap shot on the empty net because it's the unwritten rules that we all have to go by. And I hope you have that code book that's completely <laughs> blank because nothing's written down. But there, there were other things to do here um, without cross-checking someone so high. Like, you could have made a statement, gotten yourself thrown out of the game at that point. What's the difference? What does it matter? Um, but without taking yeah. yourselves out of play for five games because – what we're not focusing on enough because of this entire instance is the fact that the Maple Leafs had a regulation loss. They were in a position to allow an empty net goal against because they were down 4-3 in regulation. 
that's that's the biggest problem here. Now you're slipping in the playoff race. Now you're losing your number one defenseman when you need him. When everything's getting tighter, the Lightning are still playing well. The Red Wings are in the fold. Forget about all those Metropolitan teams. So it, it's like a little bit of everything right there. And, you know, there you could have made a different decision to put your team in a better position to succeed over these next five games when they do need you. Mm. Uh, Brad Trulivy is going to speak, by the way. Leafs general manager is going to talk a little bit later on. Um, whatever he says, we will bring to you here if it occurs uh, over the course of this program. So stay tuned for that. Um, do, you have a, do you have a thought on why this seemed to, and again, I was talking to Elliot about it yesterday. He just seems to think like, look, it's Hockey Night in Canada, it's a Toronto Maple Leafs, it's going to be a huge deal. Um, but this one was one where everybody had to have an opinion on it. Like, again, if it happens Tuesday night between two middling teams, uh, one from the East and one from the West that have no rivalry whatsoever, we're probably not having the same conversation. So I do understand the, uh, the, the, the nature of these two teams and the platform that they were on, specifically the Maple Leafs. But this one became more than just the tribal Ottawa Senators fans feel this way. Toronto Maple Leafs fans feel the other way. Like, it wasn't just tribal with, with two sort of, you know, uh, two cities that don't get along and don't like each other and have been rivals since the Ottawa Senators returned to the NHL. Was there something more that you can point at and say, this is the reason this story got so huge? First, it being the Maple Leafs. Doesn't matter who they're playing. It happens on the Maple Leafs are talking about it. But second is this whole unwritten rule book, right? You know, you should know what to yeah. do, what not to do. There's a code in, you know, and then you have players saying, when I started in the league, this is what would have happened. Like, at what point do we evolve past that? At what point aren't we dinosaurs that were so sensitive to the slap shot at the empty net? And, you know, for all we know, there's differing opinions in the locker room in Ottawa, too. Some players might feel that you can't do that. And there are some that might not think it's a big deal or this big of a deal. But it brings up this entire conversation of, you know, what matters and what doesn't in this game? When when do these unwritten rules matter? How many are there? You know, we hear it off the ice about whether or not you can step on the logo in the locker room. There's so many things you have to keep in mind. Oh, God. And, and then it's it, it just comes down to the fact that it should it matter? Should it matter? Especially in today's game. Have we grown past these unwritten rules. And, you know, there, there's a level of courtesy we expect, right? Everyone says it's such a gentlemanly game, but this is also a game where everyone can, you know, punch each other in the face five seconds later. So, you know, what, what's the breaking point? And why is it a slap shot into the empty net of all things? You know, didn't he accomplish his goal of getting under the Leafs' skin and sealing a win for his team, most importantly? It, it just, it gets mm-hmm. so blown out of proportion, these conversations sometimes. The, the, the one thing that I keep coming back to is earlier on on Saturday, if you watch the Detroit-Vancouver game, Jake Wallman in overtime gets a penalty shot, scores on Casey DeSmith, and does the gritty by the bench. And nothing. Not a word, barely a conversation about it, about disrespect. He's dancing in front of the bench. <laughs> like I understand the emotion of maybe a slap shot a slap shot into an empty net, but where does dancing in front of the bench fit in in the code, Shana Goldman? <laughs> Apparently it's not written in the code. The code is written so long ago, the gritty oh. isn't a part of it. So that's why there's no conversation to be had. Ah. No, I, I mean, what do you do in that situation too if you're the Canucks? If you get off the bench, you're instantly suspended right at that point. You can't do that. Um, and who knows? Maybe we'll see some dramatic reaction when they face off against each other the next game because they do play each other kind of close together and 
look, the NHL knows what they're doing with those games because you want to hype up the matchup and you want to have it. That's why there's so many home and homes this year. So now you have two games in a very tight mm-hmm. span of time for these two teams that if there's going to be a reaction, it's not like it's three months later. It's less than a week later. So, you know, who's to say if something happens there, if someone kind of gives Woman an extra hit, an extra shove to try to, like, jam it down his throat. But, um, I, I mean, it shouldn't matter, right? You lost a game. If you're going to be mad about a celebration, you should be more mad about the fact that you lost the game, which is the same point I still think stands with the Senators and the Leafs. But even, you know, it's more so here because that was the game winner right there. Um, but it, it, it really is funny, like, what matters, what doesn't matter. Like, I, I think we need a new list that's going to be sent out every year. Let it get circulated to every <laughs> roster. In training camp, players have to review it just so right. we can, like, keep pace of everything. And we know what to have as much discourse about. Here, here's what I wonder, too, about all of it is um, I've always wondered, like, every year I always say to myself, okay, if there was a game 83, if two teams got to play an 83rd game, like going into the weekend, I would have said, oh, yeah, Winnipeg and Minnesota, bring, bring me some more of that. That's what I want for game 83. Has that now been taken over by, well, these two teams don't play each other until next year. Can we please have game 83 be the Battle of Ontario? I mean, why not? Any, any, it's something that would change every year, right? Because last year, I think we all would have sat yes. and said, no, we want the Battle of Alberta. So you, you have to go by vibes right. alone of that season and at that part of the season. Like, who knows <laughs> what it's going to look like at Game 82. It might look different Game 10, right? Um, Minnesota, Winnipeg for me, mm-hmm. th- those are two teams like I always want to see in action. But I guess it depends what you're looking for for Game 83. Do you want it to be some crazy high-scoring game? Four-hour like, game. Let me be... Four hours. Four-hour game. Why not? But, like, think last year, that Kings cracking game, that incredibly high-scoring affair. Like, maybe last year we would have said that. Maybe this year we're going to say it would be Leaf Senators. Or then you have the conversation of, do you want that game? Because then the players get hurt ahead of the playoffs and they wouldn't trust anyone anyway. So any any fun conversation Mm. we can have about this can instantly get watered down because we all have a million opinions on everything. You just have two teams with a bunch of guys on PTOs just clubbing each other if it's <laughs> Toronto and Ottawa. Okay, a couple of things. Mentioned Vancouver a couple of seconds ago, and the story around Vancouver, well, twofold, um, threefold, really. The win, uh, the third line, and Phil the Thrill in Abbotsford. <laughs> Your thoughts on the uh, on the Vancouver Canucks playing footsies with Phil Kessel right now? I mean, Rick Toggett is the Phil Kessel whisperer, right? So it makes sense if he's going to go anywhere, yeah. it's it's there. He maximized him in Arizona, in, in Pittsburgh. But, I mean, listen, it's all fun. You know, the Phil Kessel Toggett storyline. It's all fun to see Phil Kessel back in the league. He's someone I think has different levels of appreciation league-wide. But is he really the fix they need? Probably not. Um, you look at it last year, he was in Vegas, and he didn't play much through the entire postseason. You know, he was a player they pulled out of the lineup and then had a lot of success. Uh, He has strengths to his game. His shot is one of them, but he has a lot of defensive flaws. I don't know if you want to bring that into the fold of Vancouver, and you have to question where does it fit? Because to me, I I look at Phil Kessel and how most teams build their fourth lines. Um, And, you know, I don't think every team should have to build their lineup the same way. But typically, that's not the fourth line guy Mm -hmm. because of those defensive woes. And you have to think... Would he be in a position to succeed offensively and play to his strengths if he was in that capacity? You don't want to mess with that third line because they're clicking so well, and obviously things can change down, yep. you know, as the year progresses. But right now, it's been, you know, a level of sustained success. You just bumped up your top six by adding Elias Lindholm. I don't know if this is the move I make. If you have him in the AHL and have him as a potential call-up, 
that's for the best, right? Let him play top minutes in the AHL. I don't know if that's what he'd want to do, though. I don't know if that's how they'd use him. That would be my vibe on what you should do, have him as a black ace for the playoffs, and you have an extra scoring threat if you need him. And you have someone available if someone gets injured or you just feel like you need to switch things up, which is never bad to have. But my focus would be probably on a right-handed defenseman more than anything if I'm Vancouver. And that's what their eyes on. I just look at the Kessel situation and say, it's a low cost. Let's have a look and see if there's anything there. Like the one thing that I think every single team needs, I was saying this on, on Halford and Bruff this morning. Um, I think every team needs someone that can score easy goals. Like you mentioned the shot. Like when you get into situations, and you'll see this in the playoffs, where there's going to be games or maybe an entire series where you have to grind for every single goal. It is so exhausting when you finally score. It's like, oh, Okay, there's one. Now we got to try to get two. We've all seen games like this. The thing about Kessel is when he's on, to your point, with that shot, and we'll see if the legs can get him in position to get that shot off, he scores easy goals. And you go up and down the bench when someone can snap home a couple of easy goals, so much of the pressure leaves your team. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, Phil just snapped one in. We didn't really have to work for it. Phil just snapped it in because he's Phil and he has that shot. Man, that takes a lot of pressure off your team, especially in those grinding series where every game is two to one or three to two. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And if he's playing, realistically, it's probably in the bottom six. If you're getting that secondary scoring, it's a relief for the top six players. You know, you if you want to win in today's game, everyone is going to say center depth wins championships and defense wins championships. And yes, it's true. Like, it depends for every single team. You could make a phrase and fit it to your wants any which way. But with Kessel, yeah. you know, scoring wins. At the end of the day, if you outscore your opponent, that wins. If you can have four scoring lines and four capable lines that you can rely on in any situation, like you're you're in a good position to succeed. So yes, if you could have someone in your bottom six like Phil Kessel or on power play two to, you know, add an extra scoring bump, it's never a bad thing. Okay, so uh, I want to play a clip for you. This is Don Granato, the head coach of the Buffalo Sabres. This is after last night's win. We opened up this conversation, Shana, by talking about the LA Kings and what they need, and you shot down my idea of an Adrian Kempe for UC Soros <laughs> trade. How dare you? So let's get, uh, do we have the clip? We ha- or do we not have it yet? Okay, so we don't have the clip yet. I can read it to you, though. So um, Don Granato last night, after the shutout victory, let me grab this here, after the shutout victory against the Los Angeles Kings, uh, Don Granato says this about Uka Pekalukunen. Now, keep in mind, Lukanen's been great for the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Lukanen now has four shutouts. Oh, we have it? Okay. So this is going to be Don Granato after last night's win. Man, this is a long-winded setup. Shana, here's the <laughs> Buffalo Sabres head coach after Uka Pekalukunen has another great, like, great outing for the Buffalo Sabres. He's been a bright spot in the sky for that team, to which Don Granato uses that chance to big up Devin Levi. Here's Granato. Way more calm in his game. Obviously, experience now. He's he's gaining. He's gained experience. I think it's a credit to him and his dedication, his work ethic. I think Mike Bales has done a really nice job with him. Um, and I do believe that uh, you know Devin in here and pushing him. You know, seeing another young guy here uh, over the last you know the end of last year and this year. You know, he, we we had great mentorship in, in Craig Anderson and older goaltenders. Uh, but I think when, when Devin Levi came in and, and to have Devin Levi around, I think uh, that was great for 
both of those guys. It bumped him to a whole nother, you know, I mean, to that point in, in Opie's career, he, he, he felt like this young guy that was my, my success is off in the distance maybe years from now. Uh, but when you see another capable goaltender at 20 years old, you realize, oh, huh, I better do it now. And I, and I think that that was a nudge, too, that, uh, you know, we felt uh, was important with, for both of those guys. And I think uh, they'll thrive in that situation. I opened up the show by talking about the Rodney Dangerfield of goaltenders in the Buffalo organization. That is Uka Pekka Lukanen. What does he need to get some respect? This is about Uka Pekka Lukanen. This isn't about the 20-year-old goaltender who's in the American Hockey League pushing him. I don't know what it is about this team and that goalie. But what pushed Uka Pekalukkanen, Shana, I believe this year, is the fact that going back to last season when Lukkanen was told to take a seat because Devin Levi was playing, it seemed that all season long, Devin Levi had to prove that he couldn't play in the NHL, where Uka Pekalukkanen had to prove that he could play in the NHL. Every chance they get, it's about Devin Levi, even after Uka Pekalukkanen throws another shutout at a team. Do you have a thought on all of this? I heard this and I was stunned then. I'm still stunned now hearing it, how somehow Lukanen's success is because of Devin Levi. <sighs> Shana? It's, um, it's an interesting one to take. Like, at a certain point, you want to give Lukanen his credit. And he really does deserve it because he's been excellent for this team. He he hasn't always had that two-way support. You look at the Sabres, and the biggest thing you can say about this year is that they don't have consistency, right? Tage Thompson isn't Tage Thompson consistently. Alex Tuck and Jeff Skinner aren't who they need to be consistently. You can look at two players who I think are really bringing it on a nightly basis, and that's J.J. Paterka. And now it's been Uka Pekalukkanen. And that's so important for them. Do you want to take a slight at him? Because last year when you needed some consistency in net and he had every opportunity in the world to provide it and he didn't, sure. But, like, you know, it's like you're making him chase for that respect. And I think at this point he does deserve it. Could another goaltender in the mix and his playing time, he saw it could be taken away from him once, you know, be pushing him? Sure, right? Competition can help. But... You know, you also want to boost your goaltender's confidence at the same time, too. We know it's such a cerebral uh, position, and they're in such an important spot that you don't want to push him down every time he does something well. You want it that he can keep playing at this level, and then the team can grow around him. I get everything big picture is about Levi. It should be, right? He is the goalie of their future. But this is your goalie, the goalie of your present. And he keeps showing you on a nightly basis why. So, yeah, you want to see him get his flowers a little bit more. Uh, more on this, Lance Lasowski is going to stop by an hour or two. We'll, we'll do more on the on the Buffalo Sabers. I, I I still think that you know one of the main problems that Buffalo's had for a number of years, and it continues right now, is they, in a lot of ways, treat the NHL like it's a developmental league, not the American Hockey League. More on that coming up an hour or two. But sticking with goaltenders, Shana will end on this one. I checked again this morning, and there is nothing that precludes a goaltender from winning the Lady Bing Trophy. And given this may be the final season, we see Marc-Andre Fleury, the lovable Marc-Andre Fleury, the one that everybody loves and respects. And go back to Friday when his kids read the starting lineup. Good luck not dusting up the room when that happens. Are you on Camp 
Marc-Andre Fleury for the Lady Bing. A goalie's never won it. I think a lot of people don't think that a goalie can win the Lady Bing trophy. Are you down with Marc-Andre Fleury and the Lady Bing? Because the campaign has begun, Sheena. Are you hopping <laughs> on the train? Yes. I'm I'm here to steer the train with you because I don't think goalies get the proper <laughs> respect they deserve in the awards race ever. And I know it's easy to say, look, they have their own awards. So do defensemen. And how many awards are for forwards? Goalies are the players who are out there for 60 yeah. minutes a game, right? And think about it. If you're in Flurry's position or any goaltender's position, you have people jamming at your pads all night. You have to find ways to not want to get out of net and completely explode at your defense or opposing shooters who are ripping pucks at your head, you know, throughout the entire game. I think it's so easy for us to dunk on someone like Jordan Binnington, but who among us wouldn't be as fiery and angry as Binnington <laughs> on a nightly basis as a goaltender? So yeah. if you can do it and, and and keep that discipline and just be a good sport, which is what this award is all about, and be that role model, like Flurry yeah. is that with flying colors. And you look at it throughout his career, and that's been the case. He, you know, he's lost st starting roles before, and he's had he. He was moved from Pittsburgh to Vegas and was the best sport about it. And then from Vegas to Chicago again. Um, and with so many other awards, too, we look at, like, the Norris conversation. And for years, before really, like, Adam Fox won it, it was, well, this player deserves it. It's their year. So we're going to give it to them, even if they don't. Well, Flurry does deserve it. And now, if yeah. it's going to be his last year, then it really should be his year. I think that it would be a really nice way to commemorate someone for everything he's done for the game and what a good sport he's been. So, yes, I am all about it. Yes, and, 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 and give him the send-off by doing something that no one has ever done in the history of the NHL, a goaltender winning the Lady Bing. That would be, to me, a tremendous send-off. And I'll tell you what, I'll go you one step further. It would bring renewed credibility to the Lady Bing Award in a lot of ways. Um, okay, so Goldman, you're on. You're on uh, on team Lady Bing and uh, Marc-Andre Fleury. So the uh, the list continues, and then there'll be an official petition at some point coming up later on. We'll uh, we'll assemble later and come up with all the formal rules and uh, and, and regulations of how we're going to do this. Uh, Goldman, you're the best. Uh, thanks as always for stopping by. We will talk soon, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. I look forward to finding ways we can get goalies into every major award category. Goalie for the Norris? Goalie for the Selkie? Why not? Uh, it's going to take some... Uh, gonna take some, Really squint at those for a while, Shana, but if anyone's going to come up with a reason to do it, it's going to be you. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury for the Lady Bing. Ladies and gentlemen, the campaign has begun. Uh, the great Shana Goldman from the Too Many Men podcast and The Athletic. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk to Ken Danico. Uh, Greg Wyshynski's coming up in hour two, and also Lance Lasowski. We'll get more on the Buffalo Sabres and Ukapeka Lukanen page and... What's going on in Buffalo and what's on the horizon? All this still to come. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Danico is next. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the JD Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Greg Wyshynski coming up from uh, ESPN, coming up at the top of hour two. Lance Lasowski will stop by as well. Big win for the Buffalo Sabres last night. Big win for Uka Pekalukkanen of the Buffalo Sabres. It's fourth shutout of the season. 
We haven't seen that in Buffalo for quite some time. 15 years, I believe. Get on the Sabres page. In the meantime, we'll get on the New Jersey Devils page. A little bit of a scary start. Thought they were going to get Soros, but at the end of it, the Devils take care of the Nashville Predators last night. Uh, Here to document everything that's been happening around the New Jersey Devils, uh, NHL Network analyst, MSG Plus Devils, color analyst, the one, only Ken Danico. How are you today, sir? I'm good, Jeff. How are you doing today? Uh, I am doing very well. Was there now, be honest with me here, Kenny. Was there a part of you early when it was like the shots on Gore were like 22 to 5, New Jersey just caving in Nashville, where you said to yourself, hmm, I wonder if the Nashville Predators are seeing what an outstanding goaltender can do to a game. Was there a part of you that said, oh, wow, this uh, this Sorrow guy is uh, is pretty good here. It would be nice if we had one of these in, in New Jersey. Be honest, Kenny. <laughs> Well, absolutely, and um, more importantly, I think you touched on it, Jeff. I'm going, oh, no, they're going to play finally a good game <laughs> on back-to-back <laughs> nights, and they're going to get sorrows. Yep. I mean, that had it writ- that's yep. what uh, it was written all over the game to start with, but, you know, obviously they've, they've taken steps in the right direction after the All-Star break the Devils have and the fact that they stayed with it, they don't get impatient anymore, and uh, they found a way to – hang around, continue to pepper Staros and uh, find a way to get a few goals by him to get a victory, you know, a yeah. much-needed victory, as you know. So it was just one of those games for where sure. you go, man, it's just not going the way. They haven't won in Nashville forever for whatever reason. Uh, they haven't won yep. back-to-backs uh, all season long as far as winning both games of back-to-backs. And uh, this is a different team all of a sudden after the All-Star break. They've tweaked a few things. Mm-hmm. Uh, system-wise, and they're playing much better. So now they're starting to believe a little bit again here, and they're healthier. Sure, and that's, listen, uh, that, that especially this time of year, that's the ultimate wild card. I, I do wonder, because watching this thing last night, I'm like, okay, how are they going to handle this? Because whenever you're getting goalied, we know how teams can react. There can be panic. There can be frustration. Didn't see any of that from the Devils, and that's not always been true with this New Jersey Devils team. Is that the maturation of the players? Is that the head coach? Uh, what is it? like? This That looked like a different New Jersey team that was under pressure, getting goalied, but didn't freak out at all, Kenny. Well, I, I think you nailed it on the head. I mean, no question about it. This year's just been very inconsistent. And yes, injuries or whatever have played a part in goaltending, which has been much better after the All-Star break has made a huge difference, obviously. But I give Lindy some credit here, no question about it, and the coaching staff with the tweaks they made and just the mindset they put in the players going, you know, we know we're better than we've played all season long. We're starting to get healthy. Mm-hmm. Now let's start playing our game as well. And, and I mentioned the tweaks. You know, from my perspective, it doesn't matter what system you play. You have to be connected. You have to have that urgency. And we're just seeing that, whether it's the back pressure from the forwards, allowing the D to stand up a little better. Um, the centerman has a little more responsibility down low because they're relying on the three guys they have in, in Heisher, Lazar, and Eric Halla, that they're very responsible defensively, so they take a little pressure off the wings. They just uh, cover the points, take away the middle a little better, and the, the centerman is the guy that really goes to the puck instead of pressure, pressure, pressure all over the ice, which uh, what they used to play more and uh, the best defense, I guess you would say, is offense. And when Jack Hughes is in the lineup, they have the puck a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> There's just no, uh, no denying that. 
So that's why you saw 47 shots and the over 80 shot attempts where they played a lot on yeah. their toes and in the offensive zone. But they're just playing a calmer game, more a more confident, uh, patient game as well. And, and like you said, Jeff, not no panic uh, when Saros was uh, doing his thing, which uh, UC Saros can do, and, mm. and steal games. And that's what it would have been if Nashville won. Devils got what they deserved. But it's all because, yeah, teams have to – uh, have to just stay with it and don't uh, overplay, shall I say. Uh, you know how that happens. Yeah. All of a sudden you get down two, and then it's impossible to come back from. But I give Lindy some credit here. He, he's doing a really good job, and the guys are buying in again. And now uh, it's only a few games here, but they're playing much better, and they believe maybe, just maybe, uh, we can make a push here for this playoff thing. You know, you know, one thing, I, I can't go any further talking about the Devils without mentioning one name, and that's Nico Dawes. Now, I know it's a very small audit, and it's a very small window of, of looking at this player specifically, but these last couple of games, and specifically last night, like it must be intimidating if you're Nico Dawes and you're looking down the other end of the ice and you see UC Saros doing what UC Saros does, and you say to yourself, gulp, I've got to be one save better than this guy. That's a tall order. <laughs> Uh, do you have a thought on, on, on Nico Dawes the last couple of games? Yeah, I mean, he hadn't played in a month. I mean, he had a tough outing yeah. uh, his last time before playing back-to-backs, and let alone a gutsy call by Lindy Ruff. I wasn't sure. None of us were sure if they were going to go back-to-back. We don't see it too often, especially with the young goaltender and the goaltending trouble yep. the Devils have had this year to say, well, he played damn well against Seattle. Let's put him right back in there. Uh, but uh, he handled the pressure. He handled UC Saros as far as uh, what was at the other end, one of the best net miners in the National Hockey League. And what I've seen from yeah. guys the last couple of games is he, he doesn't leave a lot of rebounds. He's, he's calm in the net, and he's got a bright future. Yeah, there's going to be ups and downs. And with all the goaltender chatter and possible trades for one, I guess both VTech and Dawes hear it as well, and they've they've turned it up a notch because VTech had a heck of a game, even though he's out right now with a – a little injury, but he had a heck of a game after the all-star break against Carolina and that one, nothing overtime loss. So I've uh, been real impressed with Dawes yeah. the last couple of games. He's young and, and we will see if he can maintain it, but I'm sure he's going to get a lot of starts yeah. to play the way he has the last couple of nights. You know, Jack Hughes is one of the most dynamic players in the NHL, one of the best players in the NHL. That's well told. Um, and he's also a great interview and a great quote. What did you make of Jack Hughes in that game after the Seattle Kraken where he said, on the ice, when we get the saves, it's much easier to win? Like, I think there's two, like, a lot of people interpret it as that's a shot at the goaltending that we've seen so far this season. Or was that Jack Hughes just saying, Nico Doss played really great for us? How did you read what Hughes said? Well, uh, Jack uh, has no filter. He shoots from the heart, and and I like it. I, I mean, he's a guy. Look, players have to hold each other accountable, and he knows when he, as well when he doesn't play a game and he does a good game and he doesn't have an impact for other guys. So, for me, I, I think it's fine. I don't think it was a shot at the goaltenders whatsoever. It was more that yeah, uh, I'm gonna simply state when they play like that, we've got a better chance to win. That's what. That's what Jack Hughes is yeah. all about, no question about it. So I don't think you need to look uh, too deep into it, but uh, he does have some funny quotes at times, and he makes it interesting for the media for sure. 
What did you make of that? Like that goal that he scored against Joey Decord to me is uh, it's a total Jack Hughes goal. He's got nothing to shoot at, so he banks it off of Decord's head, and in the, it's a, such a Jack Hughes play. I've got nothing. I'm going to turn it into something. I mean, you've seen this a million times from Jack Hughes. You watch him in practice. You watch him in all the games, Kenny. Um, when he did that, what went through your mind, or was it just, oh yeah, that's just Jack Hughes, and it's a it's a Tuesday night. Or no, Monday, kind of like, uh, yeah, absolutely. It is just Jack Hughes, but on the flip side, just uh, he's doing things that uh, when he's in the lineup that other players can't do. And and I know it's a fortunate play. It's this, it's that. But but the great ones seem to find a way, no matter where they are on the ice, right? And he was below the goal line, and it became yeah. it, it really has become kind of a patent Jack Hughes play. I know goaltenders now. I would think are going to be a little more prepared for it along the way, but he knows when to do it, when yeah. not to do it, when to hang on to the puck. And he saw exactly what he what he was going to try to attempt, and and he succeeded by banking it off the mask, which that in itself, putting it at the right angle, right height, right, uh, shooting it, uh, catching the goalie by surprise. Yeah, he's done that a handful of times throughout his career, and uh, I don't think he's going to. Continues. He's going to continue it and uh, not stop trying when that opportunity comes uh, for Jack Hughes. Yeah. Talking about the New Jersey Devils with Ken Danico, and I, I want to get your thoughts on one specific player who plays the position that you did, and that's Simon Nemich. Um, second overall draft pick for a good reason and showing game in and game out why he was selected as high as he was. When you see Nemec play as an ex-defenseman yourself, Ken, what goes through your mind? What do you see? Well, just a really confident, poised young man. I mean, uh, mature beyond his years on the ice anyway. And a lot of that, I think, comes from he did play pro at 17 in the Slovakian uh, league, uh, professional league. Uh, he had a year of nurturing, a year and then some, a little bit this year, and then was forced in the lineup because of the injury to Dougie Hamilton. Or who knows? We may have never seen what he could uh, do or become. But man, I just I love the kid. Just his two-way game, smart. His reads all over the ice. He's got a offensive capabilities. I don't know if you've seen him uh, go end and make a move on one of the better defensive oh, yeah. in the game. And Adam Larson, he didn't finish it off, but that would have been a highlight reel goal. So he's got a little bit of everything. And I'll tell you, Jeff, last night the Devils' defense average age was uh, just over 24 years old. And I'll tell you, they led the charge with Nemitz, Luke Hughes, who continue to get better and mature. And, and it's impressive under all yeah. this pressure. And Kevin Ball maybe had his best game of the season. And he's only 23 years old. He was physical. He was strong. So there's a nice balance between those three. Those guys are playing extremely well. And that's a lot of responsibility, all the ice time they get for young guys, in particular Luke Hughes and Emmett's. And, uh, yeah, but uh, I'm very impressed with them. And, and you know what? A lot of people, I, I think at the time, were wondering, is that the right pick at number two? We know we need a little more defensive depth. And uh, I give Tom Fitzgerald and his staff a lot of credit because, look, there's a long way to go. There's going to be some adversity and some ups and downs and growing pains for a young D-man, and he's had some of those this year. But but uh, for all intents and purposes, he looks like the real deal. And, and I can't wait to see, oh, let's say three years, what Luke Hughes and Shimon Nemitz are uh, come uh, yeah. come a few years down the road and, and being the, the leaders on the back end. But uh, they're taking charge right now and kind of – getting the Devils back into this thing, playing excellent on the back end. 
What, let, me, let me close on this one. Um, what was what was it like? I mean, yesterday was captain's night um, with the Nashville Predators and their, you know, Tom Fitzgerald, first captain in Nashville Predators history. What did you make of captain's night last night? I, I think it's great. The organizations recognize certain uh, uh, things or, or something about the organization. And it, it was an interesting one. I wanted to kill... Tom Fitzgerald, because you know I bleed devil's red and white for putting on that National Predator jersey. Because <laughs> <laughs> I only played for one organization, right? So I'm going, what are you doing, 50? I'm going to have yeah, so I, I let him. I let him know, and he got a good chuckle out of it. But he was the first captain in Predators history, and and a great honor and yep. responsibility. So I, I thought it was fantastic. You know, I I'll say this too, Jeff, uh, as we wind down. I tell you, it's such a great atmosphere, and everybody says it, and we know how the city of Nashville has grown and evolved, but just the hockey fan base. Yep. And, and I was in the crowd because where we do the broadcast, you're amongst the fans. And, and down below, yeah, there was plenty of Devils fans, transplanted Devils fans that live in the area, but even just the Predator fans engaging with them, just knowledgeable, fun, respectful. I, I, I love going to Nashville and just chatting with fans in the arena because they are just fantastic there. One of the great, great hockey markets now. And do you can you believe we would be saying that uh, back in the 90s when Nashville came and possibly the New oh, Jersey yeah. Devils, the team I was on, was going to move there. We're going, are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and 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 you know, I mean, you know this as well. well. We'll close on this one. There's a lot of players that either you know came back to settle, and I think about Marty Irat and his son plays minor hockey there, and Ryan Smith as well, uh, and his son yeah. um, plays. Like there, it's become a destination point for players, both while they're playing and even when the careers are wrapped up. You're starting to see this more and more and more guys going back and planting roots and staying in Nashville, Kenny. Well, I understand why it's it's a great place to live, and what you hear, uh, great for uh, family living and 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 everything else. And uh, the cost of living used to be great. Uh, if you're going to live in Nashville now, it's skyrocketed as well because of the growth of yeah. the city in general. But <laughs> but all kidding aside, sure. uh, yeah, it just seems like the players that have played there before uh, love the living. Uh, the lifestyle in Nashville, and, and rightfully so, it's a it's a pretty terrific place. But like I said, I just love the atmosphere in the arena yeah. and, and the fans in general. Just how, uh, how how much they love the game, passionate for the game, and now with all the youth programs, you talk about Marty Irat, and you can say that throughout the National Hockey League and unconventional hockey markets. We yeah. would have said ten years ago. They're just growing the game, and more and more kids are playing. It's just fantastic for hockey and the National Hockey yeah. League. It's awesome. I love it. I'm with you, Ken. Uh, Kenny, thanks as always for stopping by. Much appreciated. Always enjoy my time with you. Thanks so much for this. Same to you, Jeff. Appreciate it and enjoy being on with you. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks, my friend. There's Ken Danico covering the New Jersey Devils. Uh, you can watch him on the NHL Network. Uh, you can certainly listen and watch to him on MSG Plus as a Devils color analyst. And as he mentions, lifelong devil. Like, when you think New Jersey Devils players, I know some of you may think Marty Berdur, no problem. Uh, when you think New Jersey Devils players, you might think, oh, I don't know, Scott Niedermeyer, no problem. Scott Stevens, no problem. I think Ken Danico. I think of the guys that were there from day one and finished their careers in the exact same place. That is a New Jersey Devil 
period. Time now for, uh, for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, Matt Marchese. First of all, I love talking to Ken Danico. I just love it. You know what? In retrospect now, I probably should have asked him what he thought about the Morgan Riley ridley Greg situation oh, yeah. back in his day. <laughs> if he was playing, that game would still be going on. <laughs> Honestly, I, I agree. Yeah, Kenny's great. Like, he just... And there is there is an appreciation for a guy that spent all his career in one place because nobody does that. It just yeah. doesn't happen anymore. And it, did, and it didn't happen all that often yeah. even when he played. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, guys were, were always moving, but he just... Died in the wool, New Jersey Devil. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And was always valuable. A- anyhow, I'm getting sidetracked here. What are we looking at for games this evening? We had a lot last night, and tonight we have one, two, three games to choose from. Uh, as you referred to it in our text conversation, the West Side Story game between the Sharks and the Jets. This one in Winnipeg. <laughs> uh, Pug line is yeah. Jets minus one and a half. San Jose, surprisingly, is six and three straight up in their last nine against Winnipeg. The under has hit in six of the last eight between these two teams in Winnipeg and six of the last seven overall. And the Jets are eight and two straight up over their last 10 at home. Love watching the Winnipeg Jets. I know that um, it hasn't been exactly kind to Winnipeg of recent note. Um, Listen, we all know what the score is for the San Jose Sharks. Trade as much as they can and get as much as they can. That's going to be a tough slog for Mike Greer. Meanwhile... If you're Kevin Cheveldayoff and you've already put one big piece in place, and that is Sean Monahan, this is more about tinkering with this excellent lineup. Now, listen, it looks like Colorado is running away with the Central. Dallas is going to make some noise about that. That was a big win for them on Tuesday night. But Winnipeg is right in there amongst the best in the Central Division. This one, I don't want to say is a tap-in, but it is tough sledding for the San Jose Sharks on the road uh, playing in Winnipeg, a very tough arena to play in. We'll see what happens here. That's Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. MVSW time next with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. Don't go anywhere. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big win last night for the Buffalo Sabres. Now, do we look at that and say that is a big win by the Buffalo Sabres, 7-0, or was that an enormous loss by the Los Angeles Kings? Which one is closer to the truth? Uh, For that, we go to Lance Lasowski from the Buffalo News, who covers all things Sabre. Lance, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this again. Doing great, Jeff. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's always fun. It's always like, it, despite the losing, and last night was a was a winning situation for the Buffalo Sabres, always um, something to dive into with this uh, regime, this era of Buffalo Sabres, this uh, collection of talent on and off the ice. Um, let me know if you think I'm off base on this one. So it's a, it's a great night last night for the Buffalo Sabres. Just dance, like dance the Los Angeles Kings. And it's another great performance by Uka Pekalukkanen, who I think has been uh, fantastic for the Buffalo Sabres this season. And this is someone who had to take a back seat uh, last year at the end of the season to Devin Levi. No, sorry, you're not dressing. Um, it took, I can't remember, seven, eight, nine starts until Lukanen got a game, games rather, until Lukanen got in uh, and got a start this year. And it's been... 
You know, the steady stream of Devin Levi, who's now in Rochester, placed in front of Lukanen. Um, hasn't wilted, um, you know, has, you know, survived and has now thrived with the Buffalo Sabres. And afterwards, you know, Don Granato, after complimenting Ukapeka Lukanen, mentions how it's great for Lukanen that he's being pushed by Devin Levi. Was that the right place to big up Devin Levi? Like, can you just leave Lukanen to, to get some flowers and take a bow here? Do you think I'm reading too much into this? I don't think you're reading too much into it at all. I couldn't agree more. That was not the time to give Devin Levi his due. Just let Uko Pekka and get the credit he deserves. His success has nothing to do with Devin Levi. His motivation, and it's quite high based on the way they treated him late last season. They weren't even dressing him for games, Jeff. Yeah. You mentioned it. He was a healthy scratch, yeah. and all signs are pointing to this regime not believing in Lukanen. They didn't draft him. They were just looking for a reason not to give him that opportunity, and they were looking for it even in training camp. You mentioned didn't give him an opportunity the first handful of games of the season. And you know what? He's gone in. He's worked. He's gotten to become a better goalie, and that's through his work ethic, his work with Mike Bales, the intensity, the the focus. And you know what? This has nothing to do with Devin Levi. The only tie-in I see to Devin Levi, Jeff, is the fact that this should be a reminder to this regime that this is how you develop a goalie. It doesn't happen by rushing them to the NHL. It doesn't happen by, hey, experimenting with development. No, this was a very long process that Uko Pekalukinen went through. It was six years. It was a double hip surgery. It was ECHL. It was struggles in Rochester. It was injuries in the NHL, and he came out the other side of it. And I'm not suggesting you, you keep Devin Levi in the AHL for six years, different backgrounds, different stories, but patience and they finally have a guy who's taken the number one job just enjoy it and give him the credit and figure out how you're going to build around him because you know what somehow it's gone their way that this guy has emerged as a number one in this situation so that's um okay so we are this is big for bad radio i suppose but we're totally on the same page about this one then so i'm not reaching because you're right there like i'm not reaching for something that's that not that's not necessarily there see the way that i look at it and maybe i'm oversimplifying it is this uka pekalukanen so far has had to prove that he can play in the nhl where devin levi has had to prove that he can't is that accurate Yes, that is accurate. And, you know, like, who knows why that's the case. I know Don Granado is such a believer in Devin Levi, such a believer, so much to the point that he really just wanted to run with him and even based on practice reps, sort of ignored some of the game situations and struggles and just kept pushing, kept pushing. And you know what? I believe in Devin Levi's potential as well. I think he's going to be an excellent NHL goalie but he's not ready. And that's okay. He's only 21, 22 years old. Let him go to Rochester and develop. And you know what? You got yourself a really good goalie right now in UPL. Enjoy it and give him the credit he deserves. There's no reason to bring Devin Levi into that. Do you think that, because here we are, like this is the season where there was big expectations for the, for the Buffalo Sabres. um, And then they haven't come close to it. Like we all thought they're ready to take that next step. And maybe next season is going to be there for the Buffalo Sabres, but I can't help because you mentioned like, this is how you handle someone like Devin Levi or young players, you know, down to Rochester. Rochester is a great place to play. It's a great American hockey league city team. Um, great coach uh, with the Rochester American Seth Appert is fantastic. Um, you know, I can't help but looking at this lineup and saying, 
it looks to me like the Buffalo Sabres, in some regards, when it comes to a lot of their young players, treat the NHL as a development league and not the American Hockey League. Um, Devin Levi is a great example. Like, you go look at all the young players that populate the Buffalo Sabres. How many games experience do any of these players have in the American Hockey League compared to other teams who understand how the maturation process should work in the NHL? Do you think the Sabres are guilty of treating the NHL as the development as the developmental league and not the American League as the developmental league? I think they are treating both as a development league, and I'll expand on that point. Now, it did work and to some extent, and it, and it really has. When you look at J.J. Paterka and Jack Quinn, they brought those guys up a little bit sooner than, than some people thought. Hey, physically, are they ready? Is their game defensively ready? And they went through some, some ebbs and flows. And, you know, of course, Quinn's had the injuries, but he's played really well when he's been in the lineup. Paterka's been dynamite this year, so it's worked. And I think they looked at that situation. Hey, look at how much better these guys got. Let's let's see if we can, you know, whether it's Matt Savoy, whether it's Yuri Kulik, whether it's Zach Benson, we can maybe do the same thing with one of those guys while Jack Quinn is out. Well, it doesn't always, it doesn't always work mm-hmm. that way. And I think that where this organization needs to understand is that they are no longer in the business of developing in the NHL with prospects. You you need to continue to develop your NHL players once they reach there, right? Turkas, Quins. Yeah. Henry Yoki Hardy's gotten so much better the last couple of years. That's a guy who's continuous development. But they reached a point this year where they needed to add proven NHL players. And they did so on the back end, Eric Johnson, Connor Clifton. But they needed another forward, Jeff. And that big hole in their lineup, although Zach Benson's been great defensively, I've really loved this 200-foot game. There's only so much you can do when you're 18 years old. You're giving up a lot in size and physicality. You're going to lose battles. You're going to lose in situations. Yeah. And that margin for error in this league is so thin. And you just got to wonder how guys in that room, they look at Ryan Johnson was, you know, another really good promising young player. But there's, there's you know, some, some warts in his game that would really be, it'd be good to iron those out in the American League, getting 20-plus minutes a game rather than, costing your team goals, points, whatever it may be in the NHL ball, playing 12 to 14 mm-hmm. on a third pair role and not even getting special teams work. So they need to understand it's time to graduate. And that's why they're at a, cro- not much of a crossroads, but they're at a point where they need to understand, okay, which prospects are we moving out and how are we going to build this NHL roster? You know who your core is, how are you going to round it out and use mm-hmm. those assets? Cause they've got a ton of them to get players who can help you win now, not next year. Now. Do they need and will they get, um, because you look a lot of the veterans are on expiring contracts, whether it's Gergensen's, whether it's Oposo, do they need a new veteran mix here? They do. I think they, they absolutely do. And you know what, like Kyle Oposo and Zemgis Gergensen's fan, fantastic people, like they aren't close to being the problems with this group, but you, you need you need a different mix, right. right? I think that's a really great way to put it. Like adding Jordan Greenway to deadline last year, it didn't pay off late last season because he was dealing with injuries, but what a player he's been in Buffalo this season. I just really like a different type of player, right? He's been in big game situations. He understands situational. He's got situational awareness and killing penalties, defending, preserving leads. You need to add a few more guys like that. And then, you know, it balances your lines. It balances, and it really helps you learn how to play that B game. That's the problem with this team. Like, when everybody's clicking, yeah, look at last night, but they don't know how to win games when they just don't have it. And you got to do that. And so you got to find a way to get loser points. Otherwise, you lose, you get a lot of regulation losses. You dig yourself in the sort of hole this team has found itself in. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, with Lance Lasowski talking about the Buffalo Sabres. Okay, so there's been a lot of, like, we spent this conversation sort of knocking down what Buffalo hasn't been able to do. <laughs> what, what have they been able to do lately? Like, we listen, we, we opened up this conversation by talking about Lukanen, and, like, he's been fantastic for this organization. What's the future there? Like, are they looking at, you know, starting next season with Lukanen and Levi as their two goaltenders? Like, what else should we be aware of when it comes to Buffalo for the remainder of this season and in to next season already when it comes to goaltending i think their hope i think their best case scenario would be that levi and lucan are their tandem you know what financially cap perspective that makes sense if the schedule allows it yep. for them to play as much as they need to but this summer if you they're gonna have to sign lucan and he's an rfa if levi's not ready and honestly jeff i i would have no issue i think i would encourage it honestly to keep levi in rochester next season if lucan is still your number one and you add a, a, a right. UFA, Casey DeSmith is the sort of guy that I think would fill that type of role that that to work in tandem, experienced, having a good year. Recently, though, the team defense is a big part. Like They've been a much better team at defending the last six weeks. Now, and it's not just the defensemen. I think these, the forwards on this group, they're so skilled, they're so talented that they think they can get away with certain things. Well, you can't just like the detail. you got to take away the middle of the ice. You got to re- you just have the details matter so much and they finally sharpened those up mm-hmm. and now they're trying to just reestablish their identity we knew what this group was last year fast really good off the rush well you got to become a mature team somehow your offense in the off you know in the offensive zone are you able to create are you getting traffic in front of the net or are you just relying too much on you know getting those rush rush chances they're looking for the perfect play the power play is still a disaster but and you look at the penalty kill like that's it was really bad last mm-hmm. year greenway cousins has been dynamite in that role so they've got a lot of they've got several i think areas of their game that are trending in the right direction um it's just a matter of they need more of their top guys to, to get back like tage thompson's it He's been playing better, but he's not producing like he did last year, obviously. Jeff Skinner's had a rough little stretch here since returning from injury. Alex Tuck only has 15 goals. They need guys like that to produce more. Uh, last one for you. I got about 60 seconds here, maybe even less. When we talk about, like, I've talked a lot about Carl Taylor with the Milwaukee Admirals. Uh, Todd Nelson with Hershey's done an amazing work as well uh, in the American Hockey League. Do we put Seth Appert in that conversation as well, like soon-to-be NHL coach? Uh, he deserves to be in that conversation. He understands development. He understands how the game needs to be played from an offensive perspective. I think he's done such a fantastic job of building relationships with young players like Kulik and Rosean. Um, I think he still needs a little bit more experience. He's only been in pro hockey for, you know, three and a half, four years, you know, since coming over from the development program. But he's certainly on that trajectory with those guys you mentioned. This has been excellent, Lance. Uh, thanks as always for stopping by. It's uh, first of all, like it's a it should, it should be a wonderful you know uh, day after a blowout game against the Los Angeles Kings, and uh, it's unfortunate that uh, that Lucan is not getting the flowers that he deserves. But nonetheless, uh, those who know know, and you clearly do. Uh, thanks as always for stopping by. Much appreciated. Thanks for sharing your expertise. Always a pleasure, Jeff. Thanks again. Have a great day. You be well, Lance Lasowski from the Buffalo News uh, on the Buffalo Sabers. Even after a big win, there's something that makes you go, oh, really? Now you don't need to do that. Just enjoy the win. Let the goalie take a bow. Lukanen's been great. Like, if you don't really believe in him, put him to market. 
And plenty of teams that would be interested in uh, Uka Pekalukanen, who's been fantastic for the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, okay, only three games on the go around the NHL last night. Yes, you were spoiled with 11 games to choose from. Uh, tonight, you can see the San Jose Sharks and the Winnipeg Jets on uh, Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. Uh, action there begins at 7 o'clock with the pregame show Hockey Central and then 7.30 Eastern. It is the West Side story. Uh, before that, uh, the Panthers facing off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. That should be a good one. And then the Minnesota Wild face off against the Arizona Coyotes. Congratulations, David Ludwig. Uh, can name the uh, assistant general manager today of the Arizona Coyotes. They face off against the Minnesota Wild. Uh, can the Wild keep this up? More great play from Faber and Boldy, Kaprizov, Rossi, etc. We shall see. We shall see. Thanks to everyone who took part in the program today. Lance Lasowski, Greg Wyshynski, Ken Danico, and Chena Goldman. David Sis, Matt Marchese, our producers. Board Op Lance Kennedy, TV director Frank Baraska. Thank you for listening across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Thank you for watching on Sportsnet 360. Back tomorrow for more of the Merrick Show. I know you podcasters. Don't worry. I see you too. I see you too.